Hello, Rue. Hello, Nick. How are you this fine evening? I'm very well. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. I'm very well indeed. It's been, oh, it's been a couple of weeks, hasn't it? It has been a couple of weeks. We had a week off and we're back. Back with episode 17. It's good to be back. Beardy Dads! I suppose we've been getting a lot more sleep. Oliver is 19 weeks now and the last couple of weeks he's been, well, until very recently anyway, he's been getting better and better at sleeping. So we had our first Mm -hmm. eight hour night the other night, which was amazing. Wow. Yeah, that was a bit special. So we've we've been getting used to getting our evenings back a bit and putting him to bed at seven o'clock or eight o'clock and coming yeah. downstairs with the monitor on and, you know, like watching a film and things, <laughs> things like that. Sometimes with the subtitles on, with with the volume turned right down so as not to wake him up. But okay. um yeah, no, it's been it's been getting a lot easier actually. Uh, until this week and, and now it's all gone very badly tits up again. Oh no! What do you think's brought that on then? Oh, I don't know. There's there's a thing called the four month sleep regression that the sleep lady talks about, and I think it it <laughs> right. might be that. Um, okay, but he's been teething as well, and that's not very fun. So yeah, yeah. I don't know. How about you? What's what's life like with with Lauren at the moment? Well, it's been good. So she's what thirteen weeks now. Um, uh, I think much as as we had with Toby, she she has been sleeping through from quite early on hmm. I, w- I wouldn't say eight hours by any means but um you know certainly a couple weeks ago i would say she would be going down pretty much af- just after toby does which so, is which is when uh seven o'clock half seven mm-hmm. that sort of time and so she's probably go- goes down with a feed and joe probably comes down to about eight o'clock then yeah, we, you know, have a normal evening downstairs with the monitor on, and then Joe would go up, give her a feed as we go to bed, and that would see us through till, well, usually till you know half six seven when Toby comes in, but there've been the odd occasion when she'd wake up at middle of the night for a feed, but mm, mm. not not often, except the last couple of weeks it's been, we've we've sort of lost that we you know we'd we'd enjoyed that for a while, but she still sleeps through but when she eventually goes down mm. to the same sort of time as we do. But she's not wanting to be put down into her cot earlier in the evening. Yeah. So she, yeah. she's back to spending most of the evening with us downstairs and very clingy. She's not... It always takes quite a lot of work to... Um, you know, one of us has to be holding her and she'll go through these phases where, you know, I, I swear babies have altimeters in. They know if you're stood <laughs> up or not. Yeah. And if you, you know, you could be rocking her stood up and she's fine. You sit down, but you keep rocking her in exactly the same way. It's not good enough. That is not good enough. You, need you to. have to, you have to be suffering. So, you know. <laughs> oh, Nick. Yeah. And, and but, do yeah. you think that's teething or do you think it's this, this four month thing or, or what? Have you got any, any ideas? Uh, we think it's teething. Um, so I think um, we've, you can sort of see in the gums, it's, it's hardening and, and, in a couple of places, um, Joan thinks she can start seeing something almost coming through, but mm. and she's just so dribbly. Um, we would not, we hadn't really had to worry about bibs before, but now we're, you know, we've got those dribs, some neckerchief things, and mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do need them, don't you? They they get uh, a huge amount of spit out of their mouths in the space of an hour. I'm yeah. astonished. Yeah, and suddenly, quite a few times this week, when I've got home from work, I've sort of taken her and had her on my shoulder. And after five minutes, my shoulder is just 
drenched yeah. in drool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's the... I'd forgotten about the, this part of it all. Well, I found the teething really difficult, actually, because when he looks up at me with these big, sad eyes and big, fat mm. tears rolling down his cheeks and his little lips going and... Oh, you can really, like, feel the pain. It's not nice at all. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think we're at the very early stages, so we've got lots to... um. Lots to look forward to still. Hmm. Well, we'll definitely talk about teething tips tonight, then. Um, yeah. Before we do, though, Kenny Dobson's been in touch. Uh, we have some good news. Baby Sebastian was born at 1.20am on the 1st of May, weighing £8.3. And Kenny says that hopefully he'll be in a position to impart his own tips over the coming weeks and months. Congrats to Kenny and family. That, that's really good news. Brilliant. Yeah, we're, we love it when uh, listeners let us know when they've when they've had babies and Kenny's uh, a long time listener of Beardy Dads and has been feeding us tips already uh, and, and questions and yeah so excited for, for you Kenny and, and hello to baby Sebastian Beardy Dads Before I went away for my lovely trip away my colleague Richard Sargent let me know about a parenting course that he'd been on and then wrote a blog post about it as well um, we'll obviously include a link to that in the show notes he said it was a really useful course and he learned three things from it um and i i wonder nick whether these will ring bells with you having been a, mm. a father for a bit longer than i have <laughs> he said the first thing he learned on it was that children often don't understand the emotions they're feeling even as they're feeling them and so naming them can be really helpful so saying things like you look frustrated or you must have found that very difficult uh, things like that sort of helps them mm. make sense of the world yeah that makes sense to me i i think that you know, kids, when they're very young, they're going to have feelings, but they won't know how to describe them to you to let you know what it is that they're going through. So every opportunity yeah. trying to like fi find ways of giving them that vocabulary seems like a useful thing mm. to do. I, and I think just as a wide point, being very descriptive in the language you use. Mm. So don't say, look at that, say, look at that cat or look at that. You know, you need to say what you see. And, yeah, uh, right. Give them yeah. the words that they then start associating with that with that yeah. whether it's an object or a feeling or whatever and yeah i think that this about the emotions particularly which are far less sort of tangible things yeah that's good hmm. his second tip was that it's a good thing to describe the behavior rather than the individual when you're giving praise so mm -hmm. giving descriptive praise rather than evaluative praise so for example rather than saying you're being very good today saying things like you got dressed very quickly today right? because you're not giving praise to them for who they are. You're giving them praise about their behaviour, the things that they've yeah. done rather than their nature. Does that make sense? Yeah. It, it, I mean, it sounds like it's positive reinforcement, isn't it? It's associating that praise with the actions you want to see or that, that they're getting the praise for. That reminds me of one of the things I learned from um, the nursery Joe works at. One of the one of the things they're a big believer in is this, um, I think they call it the law of attraction, where when you choose the language you use with the children, you want to use the words that encourage the behaviour you want to see rather than use the words describing what you don't want to see. Mm, if that makes sense? I think so. so. Give me an example. So, I mean, the, the simple example is rather than saying don't run, you say please walk. Ah, right, because, yeah. Yeah, because when they hear that don't run... The last thing they hear is run. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it gives Whereas, you an option like, well, I could not run or I could run. That sounds fun. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, use language that plants that seed of the behaviour you want to see. And I think it goes back to that first point, you know, about being 
descriptive and being being clear about what 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 you're talking about. I like that. And um, how do you describe it? The law of law of attraction. Attraction is, is yeah. Interesting. Yeah. So saying the thing that you want rather than asking not to see the thing that you don't want to see. Yeah. You focus on the positive, um, and by focusing on the positive, you can bring about additional positive things to happen. Um, so I think it's a so the law of attraction is, is this bigger concept, but but put in the context of the language you use with children, mm. I think it, it kind of makes sense. There, it's it's a bit more tangible than the yeah, yeah. bit more woolly woolly uh, philosophy around it. The the third tip that Richard uh, had from this course was that it can take up to 15 seconds for a toddler to process what you said to them and to formulate a response so you might have to wait for longer than you expect when you say something mm. before you before you hear something back and it can feel like a really long time if you say something and and wait so he's been trying it since and he's found that actually just you know giving it a bit longer than you normally would before repeating yourself works mm. wonders that's interesting I'd, I'd not heard that before it does ring true with toby um, or certainly when he was a bit younger, that fact you do just have to be very patient mm. and and calm and not, you know, recognise the fact sometimes they have to process these things at their own pace yeah. and um, you do have to give them the room and the space to do that. And where you're used to talking to adults who might only take one second to mm. hear what you've said, understand it and respond to you, for a child, 14, 15 seconds, it's, yeah much much longer so yeah good good stuff thank you richard um and we'll include a link to the blog post where there's even more uh useful stuff that he's digested um and uh yeah it sounded sounded like a really interesting course actually so Mm. thanks for that richard yeah thanks richard baby dads we've had another email uh whilst we've been off the air from friend of the show graham white uh asking about changing room etiquette and he said how uh, that weekend he was out having lunch in a pub when, for the first time anywhere he's been so far, the baby changing facilities were located solely in the ladies' mm. facilities. Mm. Fortunately then, on that occasion, Beth was with him, but if you find yourself as a dad by yourself in a pub and you need to change a nappy and the facilities are only in the ladies, what's the etiquette? What do you do? I've had something similar, although it wasn't in mm. a pub, it was in a hotel. Uh, and it was a wedding that um, I was at, and the the gents didn't have a changing tray thing. Yeah. And so I thought, well, maybe I'll maybe I'll try the ladies. And I had exactly the same reaction as Graham did, which is, is this okay? Can I do this? Can I actually? Hmm. So rather than just wander in and risk embarrassing someone or or myself, I thought I'll go and find a member of staff. Because then you're doing two things. You're being escorted in and being sort of, you know, shepherded and protected by, mm. by somebody who'll keep an eye out on the door or warn people as they go in or whatever. But also you're making the point <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> that this is their fault. <laughs> you know, they've yep. chosen to only put changing facilities in the women's uh, changing rooms. And that's yeah. why they're having to help you. So, yeah, that, that was my approach, was to find somebody who could help. Maybe that wouldn't work quite as well in a pub as it would in a fancy hotel. Yeah, I guess it depends. If it's a, if it's a small, sort of traditional country pub, they might simply not have the space. But, um, I mean, often what you normally get is the um, baby changing will be put in the disabled loos. That's true, yeah. Obviously, they, which is great because they're, they're generally bigger, but that's handy when you've got the buggy with you, you've got space and... Yeah, when when you find yourself stuck, it, it's a difficult one. 
sometimes there's not even baby changing in anywhere. Hmm. You know, what do you do? And you know, Joe Joe has been known just to put the changing mat onto the, you know, assuming that the the, the uh, facilities look generally clean, then um, yeah, put the changing mat on the floor and just get on with it. Or, yeah. Uh, boot I in the car. That's what the mat's I, for, isn't it? It just makes everywhere yeah. somewhere that you can change a nappy. Yeah, I mean, boot of the car is the other one we've we've we have done before, mm-hmm. um, which uh, can be fun when it's raining or, <laughs> yeah. but and or when the boot of the car's full. But um, yeah, it's it's it, it is a tricky one. I did find once I was in the ladies, uh, and and there was somebody outside warning people and saying, well, just to let you know, there's mm. a dad in there changing a nappy. Women were coming in and, you know, going into cubicles and they were they were actually really talkative. I think having a, a baby with you, yeah, it makes you very not threatening. You know, I was clearly not yeah. just in there perving. I was uh, <laughs> yeah, I was doing yeah. a job and, and they they liked seeing a bloke changing a baby's nappy. And, yeah, yeah it, was all, it was all quite good fun and games. But I think, yeah. um, I don't know, there's something peculiar about toilets, isn't there? It's quite a, it's quite a weird yes. thing altogether. If the baby changing stuff was in the sort of the communal area, if you like, of the facilities, then no one's got going to have any sort of surprises when they come in. You know, it's not like you're walking in on them. Hmm. But if they have them in a cubicle in the facilities, oh, that's true. Then you're sort of hidden away, yeah. and you could suddenly just open the door and pop out and surprise you. Yeah, yeah, better to be exposed and and have your um, yeah. yeah, better for it to be nice and obvious what's going on. Yeah. Hmm. Well, there you go. The politics of changing rooms and uh, and pub toilets. Okay. Well, Graham, I'm not sure if that's helped at all, but that's <laughs> that's what we do. Um, and listeners, if you've got any bright ideas or any suggestions of of what's worked for you in the past, um, including other routes like like car boots or whatever, then uh, as always, <laughs> let us know. Yeah, you can send us any sort of contribution you want to podcast at biddydads.co.uk, and we're on Twitter at biddydads. We've been talking a lot about uh, about teething already, Nick. Mm. What age does it normally kick in? Is it is it sort of like twelve weeks, thirteen weeks, something like that? Well, Joe does say she started teething at something ridiculously early, like you know six or seven weeks. Wow! So I think that's early. I yeah, that early, but you know, not unheard of. So mm. any time in that first six months, it's going to all start kicking off, and yeah, your, your little one's going to be pretty miserable for a while and unfortunately this isn't something that's just going to last for a week and then stop either this goes on for a bit i think yeah yeah i mean they've got what how many teeth do children get uh i was gonna say 32 but that's adults i was thinking Uh, 32 as well but maybe milk teeth is fewer than that yeah hold on let's just look this up so you don't look wikipedia will tell us 20 only 20 yeah wow I've looked it up on the NHS website. So babies' teeth begin to develop before they are born, obviously. Yeah. But in most cases, don't come through until they're between 6 and 12 months. But most children have a full set of 20 milk or baby teeth by the time they reach 3 years old. Mm. I mean, that makes it sound like you've got a long, long period to go through. <laughs> a long I, slog, yeah. But I, I have to say, I think it's the, it's those first few as they cut through the gums. They're the, they're the ones that... I think particularly when it's a baby who doesn't know how to communicate discomfort other than cry well I think that yeah and it's the first time they've really experienced discomfort as well unless they've had colic which we've been very lucky not to yeah the, likewise yeah teething's like the first time when their life hasn't just been lovely milk and sleep 
Yes. So obviously we want to do things that will alleviate the pain. Mm. It might be good to share collectively what, what we've spotted so far. I've, I've found two or three things that have been quite helpful. Um, so I'd like to compare notes with you tonight, Nick. Sure. The first one is something that we picked up maybe from Boots or Kitty Care. It was some some children's shop. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's called a Nubby Ice Bite Teething Ring Thing. <laughs> I'm sure it doesn't end with thing. Teething keys, maybe? Uh, and it's a, a plastic device, but the um, the bit that you bite on and chew is filled with a gel, um, like a mm-hmm. sort of, um, as though it was a almost like an eye mask, you know, like the, the sort right, of nice... A, a cold compress. Cold compress, like, yeah, gel yeah. that you, you refrigerate so that it's all nice and cold. Right. And I think it goes in the fridge, not the freezer. Right, and it just gives something nice and cold to chew on, nice, nice texture, nice, mm. uh, you know, good, good to grip on with those with those sore little gums. The theory being that something nice and cold is also going to reduce the swelling, reduce the pain, make it make mm. it a little bit nicer. Uh, we've had some success with that. He's uh, getting the hang of chewing on it, and it seems to seems to alleviate some of the pain. Um, there are certainly non refrigerated versions as well. You know, you can get. Lots yeah. of rubber, chewy toys and things, but we we found this one to be quite a good. Yeah, I mean, I think the vast majority of toys for babies at this sort of age are partly designed just to be chewed on mm. because yeah, they are going to be uh, teething and they are going to be chewing on whatever they can get hold of, whether it's their fist or the nearest toy that they can. Yeah. You know, try and get in their mouth. Yeah, and Oliver's actually at the stage now where he's got quite dexterous and he's actually mm. getting the hang of grabbing hold of anything to hand, whether it's a muzzy or yeah, whatever, and he shoves it in his gob and bites down on it. Maybe it's a, a motivating factor for using your hands, but it's one that, um, yeah, it's quite nice to see him using his hands in that way. Yeah, and certainly with Lauren, as she's you know, still getting some of these motor skills together, I, I think if they teeth earlier rather than later than... They don't have that ability as easy to self-soothe themselves, and mm. yeah, to, they're still a bit clumsy when it comes to chewing on or getting their hand in their mouth yeah. to chew on. But the other difficult thing is a lot, quite a lot of the uh, sort of pain relief things like um, Bongella and Calpol, you can't give them to them until they're a certain age. So I think I'm right in saying that I think the Calpol one you can only start giving them at three months. Baby Bongella, I thought was three, but I've just had a look, and I think they, you can actually use Baby Bongella from two months. Mm. So we, I, mean, I think we were both quite relieved because we hadn't spotted that about the Bongella one. The fact we hit the three month mark last week meant, whilst we haven't needed it, and we actually, we still haven't had to use any. We know we're now safely in the realm of being able to use Calpol if we need to. <laughs> Calpol's great. It's it's good. Cowpole, it I mean, it's going to be one of your best friends over the next two or three years. It's it's just it's not the kids' medicine we had growing up, which was vile. They've actually done, um, well, I guess it's all the artificial sweetening and flavouring in cowpole. But you can get a sugar-free version of cowpole, which we went for because you know, obviously we weren't keen of. Oh, interesting. Putting lots of sugary things in. Yeah, um, interesting. Okay, so sugar-free cowpole, good tip. Baby Bongella, that's working as well. I'm I'm uh, a big fan of that already. Yeah. My friend Neil uh, passed on some teething powders, so, something that uh, his kids have grown out of now, but he still had some spare. Um, 
Ashton and Parsons infant teething powders. Uh, I'm not entirely sure what's in them. It's some sort of herbal remedy thing. And they, they <laughs> right. come in these uh, little paper sachets mm-hmm. and you pour it in their gobs. I've tried it a couple of times. seems to work quite well. Feels quite drug like. Feels like you're you know you're pouring cocaine into them, uh, but that's fine. Uh, and yeah, no, it's, it seems to be quite effective. Have you come across that before? Um, not that one. We had one. Um, what was it called? Teether was was one Joe had picked up just just in case we needed it. And we did actually give her one of the packets of granules, and I was um, well, I. I out of interest, as she was giving uh, Lauren the, this, yeah, as you say, pouring the, what looks, this fine white powder into her mouth. I had a look. And when in the box it says something along the lines of, um, you know, the number one homeopathic remedy for teething. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's like, homeopathic you, you, isn't filling you with confidence, is it? No. You, 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 you're basically just putting, like, an irritant into her mouth to encourage <laughs> chewing. And yeah, you know, there's going to be some, there's going to be some science why that works. Even as a distraction, I can see how that might be what's yeah. doing it. But yeah, interesting. So um, I've had some success, although I don't think I've used it enough to know whether this is um, whether this is a a firm recommendation yet. But yeah, the Ashton mm-hmm. and Parsons infant teething powders, um, yeah, definitely worth trying. We we asked on Twitter, um, what have we had back so far tonight? So, a uh, friend of the show, Wes, pointed by the way of Baby Bongella, but uh, another great tip, freeze a carrot, or keep a carrot in the fridge, because they can chew on that, and it's it's good for them. Oh, um, yeah. Yeah, perhaps when, if they're slightly older, when they're, you know, you're starting to move on to solids, perhaps. Right, yeah, weaning a bit. In case they take a chunk off. Yeah. But, but yeah, carrots are a good, natural, chewable thing. Interesting. I think in a in a couple of weeks we'll probably start talking about weaning. Um, this is mm. something we're we're sort of warming up to, getting getting ready for at the moment. Right. So uh, yeah, we'll definitely be in the in the, the plastic sheeting ready in your. <laughs> we just had the uh, the pelican bib arrived this evening. Right. You know the bib with the like integrated tray at the bottom for scooping the food back out. Yeah. Matt Smart also got in touch on Twitter and said that Alexis has been teething for about two years now. Um, Sophie the giraffe, or Sophie la giraffe, because of course Sophie's a French giraffe. We ha- we have one of these yep. as well. Uh, have you got one? This seems everyone seems to have Sophie the giraffe. Yep, we have a Sophie giraffe. I believe uh, it's one of those every child born in France gets given one. Oh, I think I think it's you know like bounty packs in this country. I think Sophie giraffes are given out in France. Everyone gets a Sophie. That's interesting. Mm. Well, Let Sophie me. is definitely um, highly chewable. And Oliver definitely likes Sophie. He's he's got the hang of grabbing her and and um, putting her. At the moment, he likes her nose, but um, her front leg right. and back foot also get some action. So yeah, he, she's she's got lots of good appendages. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but and it has a quite infuriating high pitched squeak to it. Um, yeah, we don't we don't find that Sophie squeaks very much. Um, I if she starts squeaking, I might have to <laughs> might have to damage her a little bit. Yeah. Matt also points out sugar-free homemade ice lollies are a very good thing indeed. Yeah, I guess it's that whole cold, chewable mm. type thing. We just got um, some ice lolly making kits, actually. Um, mm-hmm. Partly ready, for, again, ready for weaning um, and getting other sorts of food and drink into Oliver's gob. But I think that's going to work um, yeah. Work well for teething as well. Yeah. 
I have to say, I'm, I've had a quick look up. I, I don't know where I got that idea about Sophie the Giraffe's being given out in France. Um, because, yeah, again, the, the the internet doesn't support that that crazy idea. It's a nice theory, but it's maybe just a dream that you've yeah. had. But, uh, so, well, here is the interesting fact. In France in 2010, more Sophie Giraffe's were sold than babies were born. So just over 800,000 were sold in 2010 in France. And it's achieved national icon status. That implies that quite a few children are getting multiple Sophie the Giraffes from aunts and uncles, etc. Yeah, yeah. So I guess it's perhaps, perhaps it's true to say every baby in France is given one. They're just not given them by the state. Right. <laughs> Someone actually has to go out and buy it. It might not be some sort of socialist giraffe nightmare. No, no. I think it's, um, yeah, it, it is just very popular. Interesting. Well, I can see why, because it's, it's definitely a good chewing toy. It's a strange one, because it's so close to being a dog chew. <laughs> that I, I could imagine in household... Maybe that's why more were sold than babies born, because all those families with dogs in, the first Sophie just didn't survive. I and... don't know, Nick. I think, um, yeah, they definitely wouldn't survive in the mouth of a dog. It's, I don't no. think it's nearly rigid enough to cope with being yeah. chewed by a, a canine mouth. No. No, 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 but you're not I'm recommending not, it for for dogs. No, no, I, I'm not, not suggesting people buy it for the dogs. <laughs> no. I'm saying, you know, of all the baby toys, I could imagine the dog gets attracted to the giraffe. Yeah, I can see that. Certainly, once <laughs> once it's squeaked once, I think any dog would be very interested. Yeah, I think we would love to hear from anyone else out there who has dealt with teething or who is um, has got any top tips that uh, we haven't covered. Yes, please. Yes, I think tips for teething are going to be useful very much. Whether it's something that's worked for you or something um, that is a bit of an old wives' tale that you've heard before and uh, don't don't have any credence in. Either way, we're we're very keen to try everything, or I am anyway. Mm. I, I, I will gladly try any tip given to me at the moment. Yeah, yeah. No, certainly. I think teething is one of those milestones everyone's going to go through. Uh, so I think. As much collective wisdom as we can gather on that, the better. I mentioned earlier this idea of a four-month sleep regression. And um, this is a, a sleep lady theory. And she says that uh, babies, after about four months, having got the hang of sleeping, and this this sounds very much like what we're going through at the moment, having had really good, you know, a few really good night's sleep, suddenly they become much more fussy, stop mm-hmm. napping, um, and really struggle to go to sleep at night. But, it says, the good news is that it's a good sign because it means they're growing. Normally comes along the same time as a lot of increased mobility um, and learning to roll over, which Oliver is doing really, really <laughs> amusingly at the moment. He's, uh, he's always trying to roll over. Um, and they're beginning to interact more as well. It's a thing that every one of our NCT friends is going through simultaneously at the moment. And they're all moaning about this four-month sleep regression thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's hard to dismiss it completely and say, oh well, that's not a that's not a thing. Because at the very least, a lot of people think it's a thing, uh, yeah. and the symptoms sound very much like what what Oliver's going through at the moment. Um, and okay. yeah, a bit like you actually, having got the hang of sleeping quite well, he's he's now really struggling to go down. And it could just be teething. It could be that that's a big a big factor in it. Mm-hmm. As with the Wonder Week stuff that we were talking about a couple of episodes ago. Yeah. Um, you know, there there are times in their lives as they're growing up where, you know, they they start developing and their brains are changing and, you know, the, some of their habits start 
start changing quite significantly. I think with a lot of these um, you know, guides to what's going to happen and, and helping you understand it all, I think, as we said before, you, know, you sort of take a pinch of salt. I think there'll be, of all these books and all of these things, there'll be chapters that match 100% what you experience and then there'll be some that are completely off. And mm. um, yeah, I, I did see someone say, I think on Twitter a few weeks ago, saying that they were going to write a guide to parenting called Every Child's Different mm. and that it would be full of chapters like how to cope with teething, how to establish routine, how to this, how to that. And every chapter just has the one line in it, every child's different. <laughs> and, you know, that's basically, you know, you can't write the book that works for everyone and everything. But, um, no, I, I think um, maybe I'm slightly blasé, you know, Lauren being our second, so I've got some sense of of you know, perspective that knowing... <laughs> Knowing that, like with the teething, it only it it will only last for so long. Mm. That the disruptive sleep will only last for so long. Um, but certainly, I think for for people, particularly who are having their first kid, that any any of these sources that can try and put some meaning and some understanding, some reason into what they're experiencing, particularly with it's the difficult things with you know why haven't I slept for four months and yeah um, why why is my child dribbling everywhere they go or whatever it might be? Yeah. Well, like the babies themselves, we're, we're pattern-seeking creatures, aren't we? We, we look mm. for explanations. And I, I, I suppose you're right, especially the first time around, you're not, you don't have that experience. You, you, you know, you're, you're going through yeah. it for the first time. And well, it's, it's the reassurance you want. You want to know that as unpleasant or as pleasant as it might be, that what you're experiencing is normal or mm. is... Is can be accounted for and understood. Mm. We've had another email from uh, Philip Short, who says that he's got a tip uh, for a toy that works really well. He says uh, a toy for calming a crying baby or entrancing a baby who needs distracting from something like an injection. Or in my head, I'm thinking, oh, maybe from some teething. Uh, <laughs> he recommends the Rainmaker. A see-through plastic tube filled with tiny balls that, when tipped upside down, rush from one end to the other, passing through various holes, wheels, and other diversions. The noise and sight of the colourful balls flowing from one end to the other has the effect of calming and transfixing babies. With both of his daughters, uh, he says it's proved a huge success and one that he'd heartily recommend. Um, So, have have you got one of these? I do, and knowing we'd had this email, I was planning to be sat here with it in hand because it's, it's such a great noise, the Rainmaker. But um, yeah, I can't find it right now. <laughs> it it's clearly it's been it's not in the box of toys, so it's it's off doing its duty somewhere yeah. somewhere else in the house. I'm, but, I'm in exactly the same position. <laughs> I've got one. It's just not to yeah. hand. It might be upstairs. Yeah, but no, they're yeah they are hypnotic. I mean, even as a grown adult, you sort of sit there, find yourself turning it upside down, watching all the <laughs> all the balls. I don't think it's designed to hypnotize a 33 year old. <laughs> it um, seems to work though. Yeah, it works very well. Do you, no, do you but, try and get them from one end to the other as fast as possible? I try and do the opposite. I try and make it last as long as possible. Oh, not doing like one at a time, so you don't get the noise. Mm. You know, you want to get a good sound, but for how long? And yeah, it's almost a white noise. Yes, that I think babies respond well to. Um, you know, they don't like silence. That's why you know putting them in front of the washing machine works so well because it's just this droning noise mm. that soothe so well but, yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's it's definitely a good example of that. And I, I hadn't actually considered the visual aspect of it, but yeah, you mm. you do yeah they, they do tend to be um, the the babies ones anyway do tend to be clear. And it's also quite good that when you're playing with them on on a mat or something, you can sort of stand it on end next to them, and it makes all the noise. And it is one of those if they knock it and tips over, it responds. You know, it yeah. makes a noise. Very satisfying so, to knock over. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that works well as well. Very fun. Philip also has a question for our listeners. Um, He says, if anyone's got any tips on dealing with eczema, please let him know, because his daughter Phoebe has been suffering for a while now. He says they've tried a number of prescribed options, but are very open to any suggestions. Eczema is not fun. I've actually Mm. um, had a a bit of eczema on my legs for a few years now, actually, probably since I was a teenager. Um, It's better than it was, and it's certainly less irritating than it was. Mm. But yeah, I'm I'm sad to say that I haven't quite grown out of it yet. So uh yeah, I I have some um what do you call it? Aqueous cream, I think that's the stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um that's quite nice. Um and in the past I've used I think it's called hydrocortisone cream, um which is more of a trying to fix it rather than just address yeah, the symptoms. Soothe it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But um yeah, no, it's never I've never found anything that makes it go away completely. So um, yeah, as with Phoebe, if anyone's got any tips, uh, yeah, you know, I, I would gladly rub a frog on my leg if it would make the eczema go away. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, th- I have a very very mild patch on my arm that so mild that I I rarely do anything about it. If you see what I mean? Does it come and go? It, it very much so. It comes and goes, and I, hyd- I put some hydrocortisone on it when it when it does come. But you know, it, it'll be months apart. Mm. I think the advice we have for again the thirty plus year olds suffering versus the <laughs> Uh, the children out there I don't know I, you know, we didn't have to deal with anything like that for Toby or, or Lauren so far so mm. how you um, again how can you soothe children who are itchy I mean I guess in part it's, it's going to come under like the, how do you deal with chicken pox and that's going to be a, that's going to be one for, for another day But oh you just filled me with fear oh, chicken, yeah, pox. Yeah, chicken pox I think the yeah. aqueous cream stuff so I'm I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't, I don't think either of us would claim to be doctors, but um, I'm not sure about the, the situation with hydrocortisone cream. I imagine that's probably something mm. that comes later in life. But yeah. but I'm pretty sure that the aqueous cream is going to be uh, is going to be fine from fairly young age. Yeah, I think that that mm. might help. But who knows? I'm I'm sure. I mean, it sounds like he's he's tried some things already. So this almost certainly isn't. Oh yeah, yeah, especially. I mean, he does say he's tried some of the prescribed options. So yeah. he clearly has sought medical advice, which again, to any listeners, <laughs> they really should. Um, <laughs> Do seek medical advice, yeah. but if any of our listeners have have got experience of with their children of how you know did did you find a a magic solution that worked for you? Yeah. Um, do get in touch. Do let us know. You know, eczema isn't isn't a rare thing, so I'm sure there's going to be plenty of listeners out there who are experienced in dealing with it or uh, coming to have to deal with it mm. or whatever it might be. So yeah, what was the frog that, that worked for you? Let us know. Uh, podcast at beardydads.co.uk or at Beardy Dads on Twitter. And as with everything we've talked about tonight, including teething and including sleep regression, um, feel free not just to send us words in an email, but actually, you know, if you've got a couple of minutes and a phone, you can record yourself uh, talking at us or, or more accurately to our fellow listeners. And yeah. uh, we'd love to include that in the next episode. So, uh, yeah, drop us an MP3. Rue, whilst you were away, we had another iTunes review. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So, uh, Stephen Lally writes in a 
uh, a five-star review titled Unauthoritative in the Best Possible Way. That's a good title. Yeah, that should almost be uh, the tagline for this whole <laughs> endeavour. He writes, Nice to metaphorically kick back with dads and compare notes. Fun and informative. Top tip, hold back something in reserve for distraction on extreme baby crying conditions. In our case, Mexican hand drums. Not suitable for a small baby anyway. Good review. Thank okay. you, Steve. Yeah. I like reviews that also contain a tip. That's good. Brilliant. I mean, that all the more reason for us to read it out. Yeah. yeah it, it isn't just us being um, yeah, self-serving in, in, and sharing the praise others are giving us. Yeah. There's a tip. Passing on a tip. Mexican hand drums. I don't know what that is. No, I'm, I'm going to have to go look that up. Yeah. That, that, I think that's good, though. Um, yeah, those extreme baby crying conditions, what do you do? Get the Mexican hand drums. Have something, yeah, something in reserve that works. Yeah. Very nice. Could be a rainmaker. Who knows? It could be. So many thanks to Stephen Lally for his review, but also many thanks to everyone uh, whose emails and uh, other contributions we've mentioned already tonight, plus other people who've been talking to us and about us since the last episode, including Tim L., Matthew White, Matt Smart, Darren Shaw, and Dan Cat. Sorry to Tim L. for not being brave enough to take a stab at your surname. It could be Lepchik, um, but, you know, let us know. And, of course, uh, Wes, not only did he give, come in with some teething tips, but he also did the wonderful theme tune. Lovely theme tune. Thank you, Wes. Thank you, Nick. It's been fun. It has. Uh, I missed you last week, Gru. Oh, it's I missed you. It's good to be back. Yeah, it's nice yeah. to be back in people's ears. And uh, we'll be back with episode 18 next week, when hopefully we'll have a few more teething tips, uh, and maybe we'll start talking about weaning. Excellent. Look forward to it, Ruth. Cool. See you then. Bye, Ruth. Goodbye. Baby Dad.